With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. and welcome to Monday's episode of a Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler and on tonight's show I'm going to be joined by three guests, Joel Sked, Craig Anderson and Duncan Mackay to help me talk about the five matches that took place in the Scottish Premiership at the weekend. Five games, zero home winners, but plenty to talk about even if there were a couple of nil-nils thrown in as well. First up we'll have Joel Sked and then we'll get to the other two guys. Hope you enjoy. So now welcome in Joel Sked onto the show. Joel, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. Not too bad. Enjoy your weekend. Um yes, it was it was good. It was productive and, and fun as well. Ah, that's good. That's a good 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 work life balance going on there. Yes, uh, good mix, good mix. How many how many of the games this weekend did you catch? Uh, watch three. I uh, plan to watch other two at some point, but no, I, I watched three, two of which were no nil. So, yeah, <laughs> my okay. other half was, um, she was just quite a question to me yesterday when she realized that the second game I was watching was a no nil. I was like, why? Why do you bother? At least 180 minutes and no goals. Yep. Uh, one of those no nils is a, a game you're going to be uh, discussing, uh, but. Uh, we'll leave that till second, uh, even though it's probably the biggest story of the weekend, the fact the Rangers dropped points. Uh, mm-hmm. Fuck it, they didn't score goals. No goals were scored in that game. So, you know, typically on the podcast, when we're all in the same room together, we tend to leave those matches to last, regardless of any sort of significance in the, in the wider league table. So I think we're going to continue that, not putting it to the end of the show, but at least having it second in this wee bunch. Uh, imagine if I'd also given you the Hibs game to cover as well. We'd have started off this podcast with two nil-nils. <laughs> I would expect this part of the show to be then dropped to the back. I, I might have done that actually, just uh, for, uh, for the magic of editing, just not refer to anything at all that had been said previously in the show. 
I'd probably fuck that up though because I would say earlier like it was like Joel said <laughs> despite yeah. the fact that you, in the ears of the listener you're not going to say anything for an hour right anyway let's start Ross County Dundee United so Ross County it took a first half lead uh, I thought fairly deserved first half lead as well United despite the fact that until about 10 minutes before then they'd barely been in the county half managed equalise shortly before the break and then Nicky Clark with just over 10 minutes to go wins the game for the visitors uh, means that county failed uh, with the opportunity to go top of the table for a while uh, and means that United continue what is a pretty promising start to, to this campaign in the Premiership Joel what was your kind of instant kind of takeaway from this game? That Dundee United may have traded up with manager <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's certainly possible. I, know I did see a, a lot of United fans uh, praising the fact that they've got a manager who's happy to happy to switch formations, uh, happy to, to try different things, happy to go for victory uh, late in games rather mm-hmm. than and settle for draws. Uh, and I think those were all thinly veiled digs at the new and current Hearts manager. Yes, yeah, so Mickey Mellon, I didn't know uh, a lot about him. Just, in fact... When he was got linked to Dundee United and it looked like he was getting the job, it was only until then I realised he was actually Scottish. But having not, well, I've not watched the Dundee United St Johnson game yet. I plan to plan to watch that. But obviously, uh, Blair Newman did some analysis of it on uh, Patreon. But the thing that really stood out for me when I watched them against Motherwell was just how well organised and structured they were. They, I, I spoke about it in a previous pod, and it was clear what their plan was, what their idea was. And it was similar in the first half to Ross County. They were a bit passive and it was actually really good to listen to, uh, to watch the game without the, 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 the crowd noise because you could actually hear the two managers or the two benches shouting. And there's a lot, which I'm guessing was Mellon, like getting these, asking these players to push up. He was really demanding of them to push up in the first half because they were, they were far too deep. And when you are... When they're structured in a way that they are, they do have the, the danger is that they come too deep because Callum Butcher just sits on top of the centre uh, backs. And then Ian Harks and Peter Paul, they drop back slightly, the, the wingers drop back. And then you've got Louis uh, Apere, who is up front in his own. And seen that throughout the game, that was a very, very hard shift from even in the first half. The, coaching staff were very, very demanding of them of pressing the centre-backs despite them not really being backed up by players behind them. So it was a very, very tough uh, tough ask. But then they, they hung in and you've seen it with the second half. You, you, you mentioned it on the WhatsApp group chat. You were kind of surprised that he took off Luke Bolton. Bang, like 30 seconds later, then two of his subs have combined to, to, to score the winner. And I, was, I was also surprised he took off a Perry for Clark because I thought that the only real kind of joy they had through most of the game was when a Perry managed to do something good. I think just about every one of their threatening attacks, um, with the exception of maybe a couple of attacks in the opening 10 minutes where it was just basically a simple kind of cross-field ball from, from left to either by Chalmers or by Spor- Sporla to... Um, Bolton coming in at the back I think that happened twice the first half and then until the goal they didn't really do anything and the goal kind of came about from good work from a Perry uh, kind of managed to get them set up in, in uh, deep in Ross County territory and then just managed to kind of keep County penned in until they found the breakthrough there and it was kind of the same in the second half so again I was quite surprised because Nicky Clark I think at the top flight level especially I mean even at lower league level not particularly known for any kind of hold up play but yeah as you, as you say you can't really criticise when 
<laughs> two subs in, in those instances, uh, I think they made four or five in total, but the two subs uh, did combine for, for what proved to be the winning goal. And you could see that they, they had an effect. So I think he, I think Mellon was pretty miffed with the first half performance. It's only like he was, I think they were, they were too defensive, maybe not too defensive, maybe they were too cautious. Uh, the players were too cautious in their positioning and you can see with, with Mellon, he, he does strike me as a manager who can get his point across quite abruptly, but like get straightforward. Obviously, I don't know if you've seen the the pre-match build-up of the Hibs United game during the week. Sean Hamilton, who was a guest on here to, uh, on Patreon, he was interviewed about Dundee United because obviously his job involves covering uh, Dundee United. He talked about Shabba Laszlo's like a lot of what his message got lost because he just talked too much. Mm-hmm. I can see Mellon being the complete opposite that everything he says is uh, probably keeps it to a minimum. Uh, keeps it to a minimum, but everything he does say is relevant and important. The Callum Butcher in the Mittelfeld. I don't think he's uh, he's going to uh, he's going to call anyone there to begin <laughs> with. I know, he says the, the Michael Steve still say that hurts. Shabba Lasso. The Michael, or Dare, Dare Michael Stewart. The Michael Stewart. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, um, Mickey Mellon. I don't think he's going to refer to the, uh, the Peter Pollitt. <laughs> the Peter Pollitt managed to get us back in the game. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Pollitt, uh, before we move on to uh, any sort of Ross County chat, well, we should probably pick out some individuals for United mm-hmm. that played well. And, and Pollitt's certainly one of them. He... And that's uh, that was another thing I saw fans kind of praising was the kind of improvement in, in Pollitt already, and I think they're already attributing that to Mellon uh, and not being Robbie Nielsen. But there was saying as well that I think a lot of last season Pollitt was kind of carrying injuries, and that kind of uh, stopped him from really having much of a productive campaign. And this year it also looks as well as if he's going to be used kind of exclusively as a as a centre midfielder, uh, as like a number eight rather than uh, as he's kind of played often in the past a ten or out wide. It's his and best position. Yeah, and it certainly is. It gives him kind of more room to kind of charge forward with the ball and, and break through the lines. And he certainly had a good game on Saturday. I like I like Pollitt. I know he's been very inconsistent because he had that he had that spell that very kind of short spell where he just looked. Uh, it was, he was, at times it was almost unplayable, but he's just his career's started to drift. But when he plays off the cuff, there was a couple of flicks. In the second half, there's one in particular that was just uh, was was outrageous, and I, you don't want to give him like a two free a role because you don't want him to be as a, as a number ten, but you want him to be able to express himself because I think that's when he's whether it's, he's dribbling is uh, like bursting forward or just bits of skill, he is. Uh, I think he can be very dangerous. I mean, looking at the midfield three, I do like. I've mentioned before, I do like the balance in there with uh, Ian, Ian Hart. He played a few cracking balls. He like his composure, like his ability to uh, to break forward. But that's, with Paul and Hart, I think that's important so that Dundee United don't drop too deep so that they can be in and around the, the, the central, central striker. And then you've got Butcher, who I was uh, just, just every time I watch him, just amazed that he doesn't get booked earlier than he does. But he does a really, really good job, a really a valuable job for Dundee United. And it's uh, he, maybe more than anyone else, except from one player I'm going to mention, has probably impressed me uh, the most in terms of Dundee United just because of my view of him before. I just thought he was a hammer for He is, but he's <laughs> a better hammer for than <laughs> give him credit for 
the, the other is the other person I wanted to mention. So obviously, Luke Bolton's fantastic. The other person I wanted to mention was Mark Reynolds. I thought he had a, a really kind of under the radar effective performance. He obviously playing left centre back, Sparlet. First time I've really seen him, and I, I know you've talked about him before. He wasn't that bad uh, from what I've, from what I've heard about him before, but. It was helped that he had Reynolds in behind him a couple of times because Reynolds did help him out on a few occasions. Yeah, Spoiler seems to look more at home in the top flight than he did any time I saw him in the championship. <laughs> uh, to be fair, that was kind of earlier in the season, so maybe it just took him a while to kind of adapt after ar- arriving from straight from Argentine football. Uh, but yeah, let's let's move on to County now. Oh no, sorry, actually, I was going to say uh, just on your Mark Reynolds point that. It was quite. He's looked pretty solid so far this season, and that was certainly a concern I thought for United coming into this campaign. And that Reynolds had done a good job for them in the Championship, but we know how Mark Reynolds' career at Aberdeen finished. He looked uh, all, all of a sudden he just couldn't seem to drop off a cliff. He, he, I think he sustained an injury. It was kind of like Berra. He sustained yeah. an injury. He was out for like three or four months. But you kind of thought, well, it's not that long. It's not exactly like he's done his Achilles or his knee or something. He's you know, he should be back and, and being the same player, and he, never, he just never was. He, Aberdeen gave him plenty of opportunities to try and rediscover his form, and he just never got back to that level before. Still don't think he's quite at that level, what he's shown this season, but this was a player who went to a championship club because it looked like he could no longer be a, a top-flight defender. It looked like he's, his time had kind of been and gone, and yet he's, he's come in this campaign and managed to, so far, be very solid at the back of that defence. And they've performed him and Connolly, because that's another player... Kind of almost similar. I mean, not not with as much credit in the bank in the top flight as Reynolds, but when he was at Killy, he was somebody who kind of started very well. And was it was it two spells he had, or was it just one spell where he started well and then and then was poor later on? But anyway, regardless of whether he finished his time at Kilmarnock, they weren't entirely impressed with his play at the time. So there's there's two players the last time they were seen in the top flight. They certainly had more than their fair share of detractors, but overall have done a decent job so far this campaign. Yeah, absolutely. I, but I don't think it was just us that we'd been sceptical about yeah. them moving into the... You look at Mickey Mellon, one of the first things he did was bring in a centre-back in, in Josh Edwards and he moved to a back three against Hibs. But as a back four, I don't think either of them can be dropped so far because they've, they've defended really well. Again, it's probably helped with the positioning of the other players that they do get a lot of protection. They don't leave a lot of space behind them either. Right, so let's move on to Ross County. So even though I kind of questioned them at the time, or at least I'd raised eyebrows. Eyebrows? <laughs> <laughs> what a word. Race. I had a pair of raised eyebrows uh, when... Uh, the the subs were made for United, but obviously those worked out. Two that didn't uh, for <laughs> me uh, were subs made by County. Uh, and just the kind of tactical changes that Kettlewell made in the second half, I don't think they were necessary to make. And I think it came back to, to bite them in the arse. Now, it could be, and they certainly looked at later in the game, that County were a bit leggy uh, because they were playing... You know, three is every team three games in a week, but United have done the same, and so there's not really that much of an excuse there. And to me, the most impressive thing about their first half performance was the amount of times down the left hand side that Peyton, Gardine, and Josh Reed would combine, and that could have created a lot of their openings. And if you look at their first half, so it goes in a half time, one each, but 
like United didn't really have many other kind of clear cut chances apart from that. Whereas County had um, they had the penalty claim for Harry Payton, which looked pretty strong to me. I thought it was a penalty. Yeah. Uh, uh, before and um, before the corner for the goal, Michael Gardine had a shot that brought out a save from uh, Seagrest. Yeah, you also had Stewart missing a, a fairly decent chance where he kind of leant back and, and like cushion, almost like cushioned the ball with his with his laces over the bar. Uh, you also had Stewart with a very good chance in injury time with a header, header and you yeah. had you had a, a chance, a kind of half chance early on where Gardine put in a really good ball and Billy McKay just kind of misjudged the the flight of the cross and United were able to clear, but. I thought there was enough there to say, like, well, let's just continue doing what we're doing and we, mm-hmm. we should continue to be the better team and go and win this game. Right at the start of the second half, he swaps over Stewart and Gardine. So Stewart's now playing on the left and Gardine on the right. They don't seem to get that same kind of access to three going on on the right. And then not long after, uh, 10 minutes in the second half, he brings on Erwin for Gardine. Now, in fairness, that nearly paid off right away. Because Peyton has a great chance where Erwin pretty much sets it all up for him with a, a very good run. But other than that, they then could have soon move into a 4 4 2. And I think that's when things really went wrong. Uh, in that they just never quite had the same control of the game after they switched to that. And I think it was a mistake for, for Ketwell to tinker as much with the team as he did. And I was kind of wondering aloud whether he was doing this because he has the option of five subs. And I wonder whether we're going to see this with managers more often. Because typically, with it's only kind of three subs. If somebody's playing well, you just leave them on, you know, regardless of what he's, you know, like heart monitors telling the coaches of how much he's working or whatever. It's only really if he starts to look like he's blowing at his arse that you take him off. And I think County made changes far too early on the Hudson. I think it came back to bite them. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very good point. Very good point regarding like the disruption disruption that it can cause. Yeah. The big one for me is a Peyton when they seen it with Hamilton I'm sure they took him off when they were, when they beat Hamilton and I think went 4-4-2 that they lost a bit of control of the game and with Peyton every time I've watched him he just okay he's not maybe made uh, he's not brought the numbers uh, so to speak in terms of creating goals or scoring goals but he just gives them that bit of inventiveness in there, and I think it's. Uh, I think they're easier to defend against when they do go four four two. I mean, you, you talk about Erwin. Erwin created uh, two fantastic chances from. So I mean, that that really could have paid off. Yeah. I think both chances were when it was still four two three one, but it does seem that Kettlewell has a lot of options, but he also seems to know what his best best at least his best nine uh, nine or ten are, and then it seems like he's he's he's, he's kind of just seeing what people can produce off the bench rather than just going, okay, this is working. I'll be a bit patient. Maybe that's down to naivety. Again, he's still a young manager. It's his first time as a as an actual uh, manager on his own. So that might come into it. But you, you look at it, Ross County largely over the, the season have been pretty impressive. Some of the football they've played. That second half, however, was, was disastrous. And I do think Kettlewell has to take a lot of responsibility for that. Especially like the last, I mean, the last 17 minutes I've got. I think the last, the second chance you talked about was, I think, when they were playing 4 4 2. It was really the only time that Erwin and Stewart kind of combined up front. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Erwin managed to, he played a terrific first ball. Stewart, I mean, Stewart's just scored a hat trick in this game. Uh, this one, especially, he just kind of, 
He like stabs it wide with his left foot, but he's like, it's not even close. It's, it's kind of a weird, it was like a weird technique to use for that finish. And he still managed to hit it like it was, it was at least two yards wide. And he was like in a central area, you know, only about what, 12 yards away for goal, something like that. So that was, that was quite poor, uh, poor for him. And otherwise it's still like, still a fairly decent game from, from Stuart overall in terms of the fact that, you know, he was involved a lot. He was definitely a handful for, for United. He was certainly threatening. Should have should have got himself in the score sheet, but not the worst of the games. But yeah, just after that moment, so like I say, 73 minutes, so the last 17 minutes of the game, plus I think three or four minutes of injury time, they just did nothing, really. And it only really looked like United were going to be the team that scored a fourth goal if one was going to come. Uh, County just completely ran out of ideas, kind of looked like they ran out of legs as well. And quite a yeah, disappointing kind of end to the match from their point of view. The still thing that gets me is that if Kettlewell's making changes about freshening things up and he's worried about legs in midfield, that Ian Viger still plays the 90 minutes. And obviously, (laughs) Vigers does seem to be a big favourite of Kettlewell and I can understand the qualities he brings, especially... He's a quarterback, isn't he? Yes. When you've got protection around him, he can be a very, very effective player. But when it does get into that the, the mindset or not maybe the, the mindset just the flow of a game where it does open up and there's space and it's kind of back and forth as at times that Dunyan United made it in the second half that Vigers can struggle he can just uh, he can struggle with uh, tracking his man this this goes back to his days as a uh, Motherwell Inverness player is that he is not very good at tracking uh, tracking his man defensively so that that's an issue where you thought okay maybe if if Kettlewell had concerns, take him off, bring Tilson on and just really solidify it with Draper. But again, Draper is similar age to, to Vigers. There are, I think there are a couple of individuals within the Ross County side, a couple of signings they made who still have a lot to prove, namely Conor Randall. I'm not, there, was, there was times at Tynecastle where I thought he was a decent player, but he's not looked that great at Ross County. He's, very, he's looked very, very mediocre. And then Charles Cook has, uh, has I was going to say flattered to deceive. He's, he's not. He's not flattered at all. He's just. He's. He's just deceived. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not been. He's not been good so far. I've not been impressed whatsoever. Uh, yeah. Uh, before we, I think we should move on now to the other game. But before we do, just a quick uh, one. Should Should Cole Donaldson have been sent off? Yes. <laughs> uh, absolute wild challenge. It was one of those where. Uh, at, that, at that time, I was I was I was listening to other things, uh, listening to something while watching the game. And I just let out a big oof. <laughs> that uh, it was it was pretty wild. It, I can see when it happens and um, when it happens in real time. I can see why the referee is only given the the yellow card because it's it's happened so quickly. But on replay, you can see that he's caught him quite high up, and yeah. then you look back at uh, Callum Lang when he got sent off. I know they're not. They're not the same. Uh, they're not the same. There's angle, similarities, but there's there similarities because, of course, Donaldson knew what he was exactly was doing, and it was still high. They just came in at different angles because yeah. Donaldson was helped that he came in at the side, whereas Lang came in from behind. But I do think it was uh, it was probably worthy of a red card. You probably the way you could argue that the difference between the two is that because he's coming in for the side, he's got less chance of. Uh, injuring the player which is like say, stated in the rules when you consider a red card for a challenge you're looking at uh, the, the force of a challenge uh, I've, I've forgotten the exact word 
uh, but you're also looking at whether it's endangering an opponent and mm. there, is, there is less danger of you coming, uh, coming from the side whether you're coming from behind or straight on. Uh, kind of those like straight leg ones that are, are more likely to, to break bones and yeah. you know, put players out for, for several months. But yeah, the, the force of the challenge was still like wild, especially for that kind of point in the game. And you don't have to do that. You can just trip him. Like, you don't have to try and remove one of his legs while doing so. Right, let's get on to Livingston nil, Rangers nil. Rangers dropped their first points of the season. A real kind of... Real kind of blow for, for Steven Gerrard's men. I know it's obviously early in the campaign and they're still going to have like a, a points advantage over Celtic uh, if they, because of the fact that Celtic have had to miss um, two games. Uh, but they we're kind of hoping that by the next time that Celtic played that they would have an 11-point advantage and could kind of hold that over them. And that would really, could have provided them with, uh, and it's still, I mean, like I say, it's still can to extent uh, with a kind of mental advantage over the rivals, but it just kind of looks like from this game, Rangers haven't really progressed too much from the last couple of seasons and still have problems breaking teams down when mm-hmm. they defend very well against them. Yeah, it was, if for a Rangers fan, I would be been so infuriated watching that because for the even in games where we've won the season they've at times just made for me made too many passes and they've just they kind of overdid it midfield and that was a game with with Kamara there was a so there was a moment I think it was the St. Mirren game I was watching where it was they were in the attacking third and the ball goes out to Tavernier and the the run was the run that was on was Kamara to kind of loop around Tavernier maybe to open up space, uh, create an angle, or just take, take away a player. And then, again, in with Livingston, there's moments where he just gets to a certain point and it, it's, it's like a switch goes on his mind. It's like, I shouldn't be here. I can't do this. And he doesn't make certain runs or make passes. Like, there's so many times where just, just try. Just try a forward pass. Try something a bit penetrative. And then all he's doing is just passing sideways to Ryan Jack. And then Ryan Jack, Ryan Jack does it. It, just, it seems like overkill. In, this, uh, in the centre midfield and I don't know if that's uh, I think I know certainly yeah, Hadji got a lot of criticism but it was really poor Kent got better as the, it was more influential as the game uh, game kind of grew but then you, I think you also have to take the, the criticism they got and then put again onto the midfield that they have players like uh, Kamara who's maybe not finding them as quickly as quickly as they sh- uh, should do or not taking the risk to try and get them uh, they get to the ball to get the ball to them quicker Arfield I forgot that he was playing until he was was, was subbed and it just it just seemed like that middle area is going to be really problematic for for Rangers I just don't get I really don't understand his fascination with uh, the kind of the two or sometimes even three. He started in Scottish football before, kind of more sitting midfielders mm. and, and Jack, Kamara, and sometimes he plays them with Davis. Now, when they do that in Europe, it works very well because they're all three guys who are very comfortable on the ball and it allows Rangers uh, the opportunity to have the kind of possession against teams that they really have no business kind of holding on to the ball as much as they do. That's why that's why they've overperformed so much and shown such great performances against teams like Porto and like Braga. And it's just but when you when you have them in like games like this, as you say, like it's just too many kind of square passes when you really need to be committing the other team's defenders. And it's probably quite telling, but also 
I mean, it's telling uh, that Rangers kind of best chance of this entire game. Well, maybe apart for the Kent, well, not the best chance, but like the the, the shot that brought out the best save in the opposition goalkeeper mm. was Bonabarsic's just free kick, and that was after Glenn Kamara for the first time probably in months, <laughs> committed someday, uh, took a man on, won a free kick, and then they nearly scored from it. But that's... Well, we, we, we saw him do that uh, so often at Dundee, where he would get the ball. And he'd he would do, do it more, but he would do it in kind of deeper areas. So yeah, but the, even more, but the thing is, he was doing it in areas which are probably more risky yeah, to his own true. team than he, he was. He always, even at Dundee though, he seemed to get a nosebleed whenever he got that far up the park and was always seemed more hesitant to do those kind of moves than he would like in, in his own defensive third. He, he always looked more prepared to t- try and turn a man in his own defensive third than he did the final third. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's that's a problem for him and I just don't get why they, they can't just play someday. Like, <laughs> I feel like I'm just repeating myself all the time and I'm like he's fucking agent or something. But I just don't understand why they don't give Greg Dockery a chance. Like in games like this, Greg Dockery, somebody's going to like break through the lines they're crying out for a midfielder like that and Gerard just doesn't fancy him at all and I'm like they need somebody else in there that could do that but if Gerard doesn't think that Greg Dockery can do that it makes me think that whatever centre midfielder they're bringing, going to bring in it's not going to be that kind of player either because the thing is, well, they, I mean, so, even if he doesn't fancy Dockery surely he thinks he's good enough that he could be better than like a Livingston defender the, the talk was the, the South African guy they were heavily linked with. I don't think that's the deal that's on anymore. Um, Bongani Zungu, I think it is. Uh, his his kind of skill set is a box-to-box player. Right, okay. Quite similar to similar to Greg Doggett, but he's, he's seen it with a game. I, I don't see... And I don't see why he's kind of maybe not being given a chance, uh, at least because he was so impressive for, for him in that short spell. And... He's very direct. He is. I was really surprised. Of course, you, you expect from his running, but I was really surprised with um, how positive he was with his passing and how how well he did it. That I think there is a structural basis in there with with, with Rangers that that's something that's been formulated by Michael Beale and Stephen Gerrard that they want to have these certainly two midfielders who. Like kind of support the play. They don't want to. They don't want them going advance of the ball. They want to yeah. support the the play. They want to keep it. And I don't know if that's to do with uh, just how they are like positionally. So it allows if um, Borna Barisic and Tavernier to push higher up the pitch, and then you've got Hadji and Kent coming in uh, in field. So it's probably most likely to do about control, but it's not working in the grand scheme of things on domestic level where they're looking to stop Celtic from winning the title. Yeah. Well, did you have any problem with Morelos being taken off? We're about, still about 20 minutes to go. Um, I, f- I generally, if I was, I was thinking like, how, how do you keep Morelos on here? And I just thought you could have went, uh, it just, just went really, really attacking and just had uh, Jack, Basically, Jack sitting, and then I think you've got Barker. Um, you could have Barker and Kent wide, and then just basically three strikers. I forgot. The roof, roof dropped in behind. That, that should be my question, actually. Brandon Barker, why? Um, I like how much they've completely soured on Jordan Jones uh, to the point where Jordan Jones' like, future at Rangers is pretty much over, unless I'm forgetting that he was already sold. I don't think I'm, I think he's still there. But Jordan Jones looks like he's never going to play for Rangers again. What's really the difference between him and Brandon Barker? What has Brandon Barker done so well that Jordan Jones has done so badly? Is it just because of that kick in the old firm game that 
got himself injured for four months. That certainly did help Jordan Jones, but by all accounts, it sounds like Barker is a world beater in training. And I think he impressed in pre-season as well. Uh, I can kind of of see why he just brought him on because it wasn't working. You want someone who's able to... uh, Try and open up space by taking on taking on players, but then again, big thing for him is his pace and pace is almost nullified against certainly against Livingston the way they played yesterday. I I just find a lot of the signings made by Gerard strange that they brought in Greg Stewart as another one, Jordan Jones, can Jamie Murphy bringing him back? There's just not never really a lot of players who've been brought in, but. He just decides that he doesn't fancy after after a wee while. Again, I don't know if, how much of an input he has, and obviously you have to go back to Mark Allen as well because I think he obviously had a uh, big input as well. Yeah, uh, let's probably move on to Livingston now. Livingston went in this game without Lyndon Dykes. Uh, the deal is not yet done, I don't think, but uh, he very much seems like he's on the verge of joining QPR for two million pounds. Obviously, a great bit of business for Livingston, picking up a, fl- a player on a, a free, selling them just over a year later for £2 million. Uh, considering the kind of bad luck with transfers before, I think uh, Livingston deserves that, <laughs> that kind of money. And they should, uh, I think, first, very like high up on their list of what to do with some of that will be to try and invest some money. Obviously, I, I doubt they're going to pay money for a player, but at least... Maybe push their wage budget a little bit more to bring in another striker in a kind of Dykes mould because, I mean, it's going to be very hard to get a player as good as him. But if they can just get somebody who can do the kind of same job of disrupting the opposing backline, uh, very often able to, if not win high balls, and at least stop it so that teams are just sending it right back up the park again and then they can get their, their kind of foursome of undersized busy midfielders and Pittman, <laughs> Pittman Robinson Sybold and Forrest just kind of playing off that and when they do that they're, they're quite a good team to watch because it can be even though they're direct they, they just get the ball into these kind of advanced areas and then they play from there and but without Dykes it kind of is hard for them to do any sort of playing in any areas isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's as soon as he saw that Dykes was on, as soon as he realised that Dykes was on playing, I thought Rangers going to squish us. But then, very early on, you just knew it wasn't going to be a great game because Livingston, and understandably so, uh, with with Hamlin up front, I think it's a very very hard job for him to do. He's he's not built the way Dykes is. That they were just going to sit in and frustrate. They, they simply just didn't want the ball sit in frustrate and then hope kind of for the best on the break to begin with and then maybe try and progress it from there. With the with the Dykes money, if I was if I was Livingston, I'd be looking it's one of those where he's Dykes is so totemic that it's like I said, it's really hard to hard to replace him as one. So maybe look to bring in at least two new strikers and maybe another I know they it's weird sometimes they just don't like playing wingers. I don't yeah. know if they've got uh, a possibility to look at that option or someone more, um, someone in the mould of like Stephen Lawless, who performed so effectively last season uh, as as well. So I think there's there's a lot they could probably do with some of that money. Livingston's scouting or recruitment has been interesting over the last few years, so I'm sure they've they've got a few ideas uh, ideas up their sleeve, but. Overall, I think 
just the defensive performance, keeping a clean sheet, the way the frustrated Rangers would have been absolutely massive for Martindale and Holt coming off the uh, coming off the pitch yesterday because he did again kind of fear for them getting scudded by scudded by Hibs. They've just looked uh, looked all over the place, and when you've got three starting with three year back four who. I think played for a very, very mediocre Walsall team come up against Rangers. You kind of worry about it, but I think individually the back four were were fantastic. I think there was a lot of last last ditch defending going on, especially towards the what the end what you kind of expect. But I thought the four of them were were excellent. Jack McMillan, I think there was a lot of calls for him to come back in. He's a right footed uh, left back, but he some of the tackles he did uh, he made were were exceptional. John Guffey though was my man of the match. Yeah, I think he was uh, the official man of the match as well. But yeah. I would like to single out some praise for his partner uh, Jack Fitzwater, who I was not big on at all. I didn't uh, I didn't like the look of him when we kind of scouted the players mm-hmm. uh, prior to the season. Uh, he certainly did not have a, a great start to this campaign. I thought he was very poor in the two old draw away to Motherwell, but he had an excellent game as well. Uh, making a, a few kind of vital blocks and interceptions, but also as well for somebody who's been statistically, statistically over his entire career, not great in the air, somebody who looked a lot better at that against Rangers, not only in terms of winning headers against like opponents, but also uh, something that he struggled with in the middle game, just judging the flight of the ball, because there was, mm-hmm. a, lot of, there was a lot of crosses going into that Livingston box, and if he had... If he had played like he's played so far this season, then they would have been in a lot of trouble. But he was solid. He managed to get his head to pretty much everything that came in his direction. And yeah, fair play. Still not convinced. It's only one game. But uh, it's certainly a step in the right direction for him. And we have to mention uh, the, the goalkeeper match. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Drake, I mean, as a whole, his performance was very steady. I think he flapped a couple of crosses, but both like the two I can remember, they were quite difficult ones where he was under pressure and he got them into the right areas, which is which is massive. His handling was, was, was very safe, but the free kick from... The free kick save from Borna Barisic was uh, out of this world. They could, I've seen... I seen Liam Kelly, former Livingston goalkeeper, tweet basically just how the fuck did he save that? <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be quite uh, it'd be quite ironic if uh, Rangers have uh, been giving a keeper to Livingston on loan for for this season, uh, suddenly find that he doesn't get a game because he because the Rangers player forced the the backup goalkeeper to such a brilliant save. I know. To be fair, I was, I was thinking that uh, as the game went on, that as after he made that and as the game uh, carried on and finished that. If you're going on performances, it's, it'd be hard to drop him. Yeah, I mean, it's only one game, but he did look... In, in one game, he did look better than McCrory has looked this season. Yeah, he's, he, there was a lot... He seemed more reliable. Yeah, certainly. Right, Joe, I think that's us. Anything else to add before we close up? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, I've been sent an interesting message regarding Aberdeen but I, I can't read out on uh, <laughs> on the podcast so okay. listeners <laughs> sorry <laughs> to laughing at them and apologising <laughs> yeah right uh, cheers Joel goodbye now welcome on to the podcast Mr Craig Anderson Craig you're here to discuss two games we're going to get on to Hamilton Aki's nil St Mirren 1 shortly enough but let's begin with your team, your your, your favourites, Kilmarnock. If I have to. <laughs> hmm. So, so far this season, you've played three or four games, I can't keep up now. Four games, we've played four. 
four games, uh, no victories so far. Uh, I think I am right in saying two draws and two defeats. Time to, time to start worrying a bit, or, or are you still okay? I'm worried in the sense that the results haven't been great. Actually, I would say four reasonably okay performances. I know you watched the county game on Wednesday night, yes. where the first half performance was atrocious, but the yeah. second half was much better. Um, the first two games were hips away, where I thought, you know, two, two bad errors, but played pretty well um, against a team that's been doing well. We played Celtic at home, got a point. You can't really, well, you can, you can get better than that. You can win, but you know what I mean? Can ask then, for more than that. Yeah. And Saturday should have been our first win of the season. Um, there's no doubt to me that the, the red card changed the game in that respect. And it absolutely was a red card. But up until that point, I had the kind of hallmarks of a kind of classic team who are struggling, start to find, you know, struggling for a result, finally get their restroke of luck. And St. Johnston hadn't looked like scoring. Um, all along and then when we went 1-0 up I thought right this is us we're going to do it and it's such a big difference between sitting right now with five points from those four opening fixtures um, and instead sitting with two and then your, your next game's at Ibrox so <clears throat> it's not it's not what you want No that is, that is far from ideal so what are the so is it just a case of bad luck or is there, is there issues for the team? I wouldn't like to call it bad luck given that it's players that play for us making mistakes it's not like yeah it's not like misfortune it's more like people making bad decisions um, Ross Mellon gets himself sent off which which I think did change the game he's, he's been very good so far this season but that's maybe just a, I don't know I don't want to say a lack of experience he's probably played like 200 games like, like across the lower leagues and stuff as well but he doesn't have to go he takes a bad touch that's fine he doesn't have to go lunging after that ball but it's a kind of natural reaction um, it's a definite red card and then even after that, McGowan's mistake for the first goal is inexplicable. Um, it's hilarious is what it is. Yeah, well, the only explanation you can give is that the guy's not played a competitive game of football for six months yeah. and then gets thrown on in a difficult situation. So you can maybe point out, well, maybe he could have been brought on as a sub in one of the games earlier, but that's a bit of a stretch, right? I mean, yeah. you're not changing your fullback. That's not a thing you normally do. The, the, um, shape, the shape that he throws to deal with the initial ball is quite funny in itself. And I thought, because I obviously saw you guys talking about it in the group chat, because I haven't seen sports scenes, so I'd literally, just before I, and, uh, I should say as well, that I'm going to be asking a lot of questions for this one, because the Kelly St. Johnson game is the only game I've not actually seen for the weekend's games as well. So I've just finished watching the highlights. So I knew what to expect. He threw that kind of weird shape and I could burst out laughing. And then the ball goes away and they're all like shirt and handball. And it's like, but wait, there's more. Yeah. <laughs> it's when he tries to like, it's clearly tries to flick out a play and does nothing except just flick it direct. Is it David Wallerspoon just flicks it directly to? I think it is, yeah. Yeah, it's just I'm not like, sure what, what scores, so it must be someone else who... Aye, so aye, whoever it was just it, um, fl- flicks it directly to them and it's just, oh God, <laughs> I just had a good wee giggle at that. It was uh, quite entertaining. Even that move, which they didn't show on any of the highlights, came from Rogers having the ball at his feet under no pressure and hit like a, one of those sclaffed low kicks that went to one of their players at the halfway line. And okay, you're not blaming him, but that shouldn't have happened. It's just all these wee things. And then you saw Stuart Finlay for the, for the um, winner as well. It's just, you might expect a mistake from someone like McGowan who's come in, but it's not what you expect from Finlay. Um, and when that starts happening, it's very hard to point a finger at the manager, I would say, for, for those particular goals. 
Um, you can point fingers at him for other things. I think um, he's not made much use of his substitutions in general. Um, like like you watched the game the other night, you only made one sub, and okay, we were control of the game. So there's these little things, and maybe they all add up. But I felt very sorry for him on Sunday, Saturday, because I think he got it right with the team selection. I think we played pretty well. We we it wasn't scintillating, but we controlled the game. We were in top. We finally got the goal to Spoiler. He really deserved that goal. He's probably been our best player so far this season and got the goal. And then you think, right, we're going to see this win out and all of a sudden the season looks much rosier. There is still a problem though, isn't there, with a lack of kind of options in the centre, whether it's a second striker or whether it's a, an attacking midfielder because you have to think if even Brophy has been fit at all this season that he would start alongside Kabamba uh, in a few of the games, maybe not the Celtic game, but maybe in a few of the other games. Uh, and Kelly will go with a two up top. Uh, they've exclusively played uh, a four, kind of either a 4-2-3-1 or some kind of variation of, of that 4-1-4-1 uh, so far this season. And while Kabamba has generally played quite well across most of it, I think it's safe to say he's not quite enough of a goal threat if he's no. going to be the, the kind of leading striker all season and the only guy starting up front. I think I think it's a problem in general. You look at the team and you struggle to see where goals come from in the team. We have a bunch of players who are very, very technically sound footballers, but there's probably a lack of unpredictability in there. Um, something that... He, the, the players that will immediately come to mind are Jones, Stewart and Malumbu over the last two years who can make something happen. We didn't see it. There's none of that. Chris Burke is excellent, technically very good, but he, he doesn't do anything that surprises you. He's just very good at the things that he does do. And when teams, because Burke had a, a pretty poor game, um, he was just kind of shown onto his foot. They tried to block the crosses, deal with the crosses. He was still he was still involved, I think. We, I mean, he had the, the chance early on where he... Uh, he went down quite easily. I think he was he had a chance to score. But that that is, I would say, for Kelly a concern and, and it's been a concern probably since January twenty nineteen. Um when uh, Stuart left and Malumbu coming back from Celtic for the second time sort of eased it a little bit. But it's the biggest problem in the team. They don't even have to be good. We just need we just need like a Callum Higginbottom style player who's just just does things you don't expect. Um, and and uh, there's not much sign, I think, that any of the players were signed are like that either. Yeah, yeah. Right, uh, let's kind of talk about some of the other incidents in the game. So, Ross Millen got a red card, uh, but do you think that Liam Gordon should have received one in the first half? I did think it was a red card. It's hard to, it's hard, you know, I'm obviously watching it through blue and white tinted spectacles, but I thought um, Pinnock is through and goal and he gets pulled back. I don't think there's another St. Johnston player near enough. Shaughnessy, I think, is covered. Eh, not Shaughnessy, um, Kerr. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the number five. And if, it, if it was Shaughnessy, he definitely would not be yeah. near enough. He was in Hamilton at the time. No, I, was saying, I, was saying, I was getting the two games mixed up and also like thinking back two years to, I think, that number five jersey that I'm sure he used to wear. Um, uh, Kerr, I think it is, is covering. Um, and I, I do think Pinnock is getting a shot away. And if you're getting a shot away 12 or 18 yards out, that is a goal-scoring opportunity. It's a clear goal-scoring opportunity. I, I, it's not like a stonewall red card, but I think a lot of the time you could have seen it as a red. Um, so it, it was, I don't think it was something you go away feeling hard done by because it wasn't ultimately what changed the game, but it, it could have been a red card. So you've, we've talked about 
kind of the lack of goals in the team, but also at the same time, Kelly, we're maybe a little bit unlucky in the, in the first half not to not to get a couple of goals in front by by the time that the ref blew the whistle. We had. Uh, God, I always forget his first name. Uh, Elliot Parrish. I always want to call him Robert Parrish. I get confused with a safety from like the 49ers and I think Arizona Cardinals or something. But Elliot Parrish uh, made two really good saves. Uh, one from uh, Stuart Finlay from a free kick and the other from Chris Burke. Both of them very impressive after he was... We never mentioned it in the show, but it was kind of said in the group chat that he was a little bit suspect last week for Barisic free kicks, not uh, moving his feet quick enough and seeming to pull out the save when the ball... Landed in like the corner of the net, but uh, certainly redeemed himself with a, a couple of fine uh, stops in the opening period. Yeah, and he he, he didn't generally did play well. I think you're looking at two goalkeepers and on the park there who are probably not quite Premiership goalkeepers. They're like okay, and we saw Parish had plenty at Dundee, and you just always kind of never really fancied him. He was like he was never. He wasn't Jack Hamilton. He wasn't making blunders left, right, and centre. But you just got that wee feeling of mm, not sure. But yeah, he had a good game. And then immediately after the Finlay free kick, um, Broadfoot hit the bar from a corner as well. So Kelly had, that's when Kelly had the chances there. I think he played well. I would question his role in the Kelly goal. I think he should have been off his line a lot quicker, given where um, Pinnock meets the ball. But Parrish had a, had a pretty good game, I would say, for, for a, a guy I don't rate. <laughs> Let's move to St Johnson in general. Uh, so I think by all accounts it weren't a, a really at all impressive until the, the sending off and then they, they managed to use the, their man advantage. But uh, as far as I can tell, there was an injury to J- Jamie McCart uh, participated a, a change of formation. So they've been playing the three four three, I think, pretty much exclusively this season, with the, obviously the exception of the Dundee United game when they were down to... 10 men and uh, I think they played a 3-4-2 a in that one so they've pretty much had the exact same system since the start of the campaign but for this one uh, the way the app the Sky Sports app had it was it was a four kind of variation of 4-5-1 do you think that kind of stunted them in this game a little? I couldn't tell what they were playing because it did seem still like the three at the back a lot of the time because Rooney kind of played as a, a centre half almost right. at times. So, so is my up talking pish really? I, I I think so. I mean, I couldn't <laughs> say for sure. It, it did seem like Rooney was playing centre back. It does seem that. like that when they give up the goal. It seems like Rooney is. He looks like it's in a centre back's position, and that was it's kind not, of that was when I got confused position. about everything. Yeah, it's not his position. Any any you could tell that. Um, so, so yeah, it looked to me like he was still part of the back three and you still had um, McNamara playing wing-back. I'm not sure about him. He seems okay. McNamara, really, is not a centre-half. I think that that's fairly clear. His he's skills as a, def- a defender as such generally like going forward, I think. He's um, more than defensively. Um, okay, so let me change my <laughs> question then. So regard- disregarding all I said about them changing formations, the 3-4-3, three, three, how do you think it worked? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I didn't really think they were particularly good, but it's St. Johnston and they seem to win games and that's what they did again. But I wasn't hugely impressed with them, I have to say. Um, as I said, when we went 1-0 up, I was pretty sure we were going to win because they hadn't done anything through the game. They, they've definitely missed someone like Stevie May with just a bit more um, energy up front, I think. Um, you, I mean, you saw from O'Halloran that he's got a different type of energy, but, but May's more kind of busy. Um, I think that type of player could have been done with, but they they definitely I felt lost to battle in the middle of the park and then they they didn't look that safe down the flanks either. So I think they 
there were a lot of ways that they were being hurt um, in terms of half chances being created. So overall, I thought they were going to have a pretty good season, but the more I've seen from them, and I know that I appreciate they've they've played three games, they they got a point um, with 10 men against Dundee United, they lost to Rangers and now they've beaten us. So it just seems a bit of a strange thing to say, but they... um, I would be slightly more worried from him having watched that performance than I was before. Anything else, Dad, before we move on to the next game? Um, just to say, I think I think it was impressive from Mohalloran for the winning goal. Um, just just the um, the ambition not to give up on on that. It's very easy, I think, to see that ball and see the two defenders dealing with it and just think, I'll just leave that, I'll let the keeper get it. But he, he anticipates that something might go wrong, he gets in. And it's a really nice touch past Rogers, and then it's a lot of composure to put the ball in the net. So I think that that was um, was something that, that was good. He was probably about uh, the most dangerous in Johnston player in general. I thought um, he he got himself into kind of quite good positions, kind of in the wee gaps in between kind of defenders and things like that. And he was just quite sharp all the time. I thought so. Um, obviously, redeeming himself after the um, the red card in the, the opening day. Well, there's going to be after a lot of redemption going on at Hamilton because they're bottom of the table uh, after four games, lost every single one of them. Have uh, Remind me, have they even scored a goal yet? I can't remember one. They've, they've only played three games, sorry, because their game I was cancelled. I should have remembered that one. Uh, yeah, I don't oh, no, they scored against Celtic, didn't they? That was 5-1, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, of course they did. But yeah, it's still not looking too... So there we go. I said four games, not good. <laughs> don't score a goal. <laughs> played three games and scored once. Um Coming, coming right with the facts in, the, in this uh, part of the podcast. Right, let's... Um, they, I mean, I think it's fair to say they, they lost this game 1-0. It is to St Mirren, uh, with all due respect to St Mirren. I think that that's obviously another team that uh, were expected to battle at the bottom of the table. Although, we'll get on to talking about them. They have uh, looked a little bit better than that uh, so far this campaign. But... So the, 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 there are still caveats to go along with it. They the lost at home, they didn't score. They're playing a team that, if you're not beating this team, who are you going to beat in the division? However, I still think Aki's did look better, and I think they can consider themselves pretty unfortunate not to take a point for this game, at least a point. It, it looked a pretty good game. Like um, for a, when, you, when you read the scoreline, Hamilton Acad- Academical, nil St Mirren won, you're not really expecting much, but um, it, it looked like there was quite a lot of chances at both ends. Templeton looked like he was um, dangerous for them again I think there's going to be a lot pinned on him this season in general because they don't have much else I mean Moyo looks looks a pretty dangerous player as well but I think Templeton's going to be the guy that if they are to stay up he'll be the one behind it I would guess and um, so yeah I think more promising than what we'd seen from him before but at the same time as you say if you're losing at home to Samirin that's not what you want to be doing and they still managed to survive a pretty weak first half where they maybe could have trailed by more than a goal. They started off reasonably well. I thought there was mainly like a couple of occasions where it was mostly just like high balls to, to David Moyle uh, that they were able to find a bit of joy. They were also getting a little bit of joy early on down the flanks. Munn lined up in a, in a narrow diamond, so that kind of invited Hamilton onto the wings. And they had, a, they had one or two moments, but overall it was quite disappointing how little they kind of tested St Mirren in that opening period. I think it was maybe partially due to the fact that the goal knocked the stuffing out of them because that only comes 90 minutes in. 
So Mern had kind of started to be on top slightly before then, but you're talking still in the opening kind of like 10, 11 minutes. The Aki still had like, uh, drew two saves from Jack Anik and said, Aaron Winter. Aaron Winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck it. Aaron Winter. Uh, had, a, had a header wide as well. So they started promisingly enough. And then for the rest of the first half, it was just really listless. And it was... Junior Moraes had a, like three basically efforts. Brian Fulton made a. It was hard to tell in highlights whether it was a save or it was deflected wide. But there was a there was one that he was unlucky with. There was then a pretty bad miss that he had after he was, um, like after he managed to do quite well himself to kind of put off Odofin and, and kind of keep the ball in St Mirren's end. And then he kind of shot wide not long before the the post S shot like wide not long before the half. He, I, Junior Morales is not somebody that I've really been impressed with at all since he came to Scottish football. I think I've uh, described him before as just a wee lump uh, who didn't really do much else. But I actually thought he had a, a fairly decent game, except from in front of goal. He, he was causing problems. He was kind of throwing his weight about. He was he was moving around the park quite well, getting you know going from side to side while Abika was kind of doing more of the, the target man uh, job in their, uh, as I said, the four four two diamond. And... They could have had things wrapped up by halftime, but the second half, like almost right away, you saw that Aki's were, were kind of far more up for it. They were playing with much more belief in their play. There was much more intensity to them. They like the up and unders that had kind of worked early on going to Moyle, and he kind of felt the game started to work again once Moyle went off and Marius Ogunbo came on. Uh, they also had. Uh, they kind of started to get a bit more joy in the wings again. Aaron, <laughs> Aaron Vitter had a very good second <laughs> half. Uh, he substituted on from 1994. <laughs> <laughs> Played on the left wing as well. <laughs> uh, he had a very good second half. Justin Johnson looked a lot more dangerous than Lewis Smith did uh, throughout his 55 minutes in the park. And they, they pushed Simon back quite a lot in the second period. Simon, the only thing I could really say about Simon's second half performance that I can kind of give any credit to is that for... Well, they, they, they rode their luck a bit for the kind of final 15 minutes of the game. Uh, yeah, so in, in 77 minutes, um, Scott McMahon had a, a really good chance that he, he, he should have done much better with because unlike some of the other efforts, he had time to, to set himself and pick his spot and basically hit it right at Anik. Uh, but after that, there wasn't really uh, much of an opening for uh, St Mirren as they finally started to make the ball stick in the final third. And that was one thing I was quite curious about because you could actually hear it in the in the game where Jim Goodwin, you can hear him screaming at the at the players to to press and to, to kind of work harder. But he only made one sub throughout the entire game. So I, I spoke with Joel about the fact that I felt like Ross County made too many subs at the weekend. They were too quick to do them, so they kind of upset their their kind of rhythm. I, thought, I felt in the second half that St Mirren had no rhythm <laughs> and they were kind of struggling to match Aki's intensity. So I was a bit curious that the only sub he made in the second period was bringing off uh, Kyle McAllister, who started at number 10 and uh, replacing him with Ilkay Durmas, who didn't really do too much in the second period. Uh, and McAllister was kind of okay in patches in the first half and then kind of really fell out. But I felt that if he's wanting them to press high and kind of bother Aki's before they can get the ball out, then you know, surely some more fresh legs would benefit that. I think it's always that you, you kind of end up stuck with the two arguments of you don't want to disrupt things when you're winning, and you don't want to kind of, you know, you take a player off, and then the guy who comes on doesn't remember the role and leaves a gap. But when you're giving up chances anyway, it seems like less of a problem. 
And I think it's always funny with like bringing on someone like Dermis in the sense that he is more of a liability defensively, I think, than, than McAllister would be. But um, at the same time, he's going to get you up the park. And I think, or he should, he should get you up the park. And you saw him do it a couple of times. But there's always that kind of challenge of which type of player do you want on the park because you don't want to just invite pressure as well. So I think there's a sense of... Um, Goodwin just being happy to stick rather than twist and hope for the best when it you know these guys have got us through 75 minutes without a goal going in maybe we'll maybe we'll see it out which they did I think you see I think of the last um, I think since the start of last season something like 7 out of their 10 wins have been 1-0 so it is a scoreline that they're kind of comfortable defending um, and I think a couple of the other ones have been 2-1 and I think they've had one 2-0 victory. I could be missing one out there, but I think... So they're not a team who tends to win comfortably, so they're probably used to um, defending like that. I think uh, we talked about Kelly kind of missing that second kind of central player who can really kind of be relied on to get or create goals. And I think some men have that problem as well. Jonathan Abika... Uh, to me continues to oppress he scored the only goal in this game his performance was okay again he was another player that maybe didn't uh, kind of step up as much in the second period but he'd done his usual made a use of himself held the ball up at times uh, managed to get the goal but there's he, he's not somebody that's going to get more than like 10 goals in a season if that so some men I think do need somebody else either to play alongside them I was singing Murray's praises but he still doesn't look like he's really going to go on any kind of scoring run uh, and you know, the, the kind of, some of the midfielders are, I think are much a muchness uh, and I, I think that they are still lacking another kind of potent uh, member of their attack. I think you can look back at like the St Mirren teams, funnily enough now that he's left the club, but under Gus McPherson when he was a manager and it was very much the same thing, wasn't it? All the, mid, the, all the midfielders, you know, you had Hugh Murray and you had, uh, what's his name, Stephen Thompson, the, the midfielder, and they were all nice, neat and tidy players, and you maybe just lacked a wee bit of spark. Um, talking of Obika, I, I thought his work for the goal was really good. Like the way he was constantly on the move in the box, which is something you know you get a, a guy who who would probably be described as a big target man, and there can be a temptation to just stand still in the box. But I think he kind of the first ball comes in, and he kind of is moving for it, and then it comes back to him, and he's found himself that wee gap to to be able to prod at home. So I liked what I saw from that, and I think. Yeah, he's not probably going to score much beyond 10 goals, but I think he'll, he'll score 10 big goals um, for them. So I think he's a, he's going to be important to their season. But yeah, there is a sense, as as I said with Kelly, of a wee bit too much predictability, which might hold them back. Because I think they're, they're pretty solid. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty impressed with the business they've done in general. And I think the guys have brought in have, have started quite well. Right, Craig, I think I'll, I'll let you go. Uh, thanks very much for joining me. Yeah, cheers. It's, uh, it's just good good to talk about football again instead of all the other nonsense we've been doing. <laughs> uh, well, later on, you're going to appear with me on more nonsense <laughs> to, do, to do with stuff away from the park. Uh, so you've got that to look forward to. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. We're going to finish off tonight's podcast with Duncan Mackay on to talk about Hibs nil, Motherwell nil. Duncan. Not the best of games on uh, Saturday night, but I, I thought for a nil-nil it wasn't too bad. Although, I would imagine you would have watched it through Hibs support and eyes, where it certainly would, would have looked worse than if you were a Motherwell fan. 
If judging by the comments on Twitter, which is obviously never something to go off, about half of the Hib support was ready to walk into the first or fourth on the Saturday night, judging on the, that, that performance. So, well, don't care if you're going to win the league. Uh, by October. If you've got to win the league, you have to sometimes grind out games. You weren't, we weren't going to win all 38, and I think we should accept that. And that, um, is, that is also a fair point as well. Although I think, I think a lot of fans were maybe... I mean, I draw it home to Motherwell. It's not the worst result. Motherwell looked back to, kind of, if not at the best, then at least kind of getting towards it than certainly they had done in any other game that they've played so far this season. Yeah. Definitely. But I, I do think that what kind of scared Hibs fans a lot was just kind of how poor Hibs were for a lot of the game and having been quite poor against Dundee United for the most part as well, there's kind of maybe starting to worry a little bit that the position they've had, well, obviously, you mean top of the fucking league's not going to be a position Hibs are going to hold at the end of the campaign. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> unlikely to hold at the end of the campaign. But uh, I think that they're wanting a a little bit more out of this team in terms of performances so they can really have optimism that this year they will go on and finish up. Yeah, I, I can agree with that to a certain extent, but then I, I haven't watched a number of games this season. I don't think there's that many great squads. Uh, and so you... I don't think this is this will be... the. I think this is a team that could easily finish third. Uh, and it still might not be the best Hibs team of the past few years. It's just that it just might be the way that things are working. But yeah, I think uh, I think it's quite difficult. I think for if if your plan is basically to mug teams and hit them on the break, uh, use it exploiting the pace of Horgan occasionally, and more likely Martin Boyle, uh, and you're you're happy to surrender possession. It's a lot easier to do behind closed doors, I suspect, at home uh, than it would be if that was Saturday night uh, or Saturday tea time uh, with uh, you know, 14, 15, 16,000 people in. I think there'd have been a lot of fuck's sake hibs uh, much earlier. It's a interesting tactic. I mean, I, I don't really understand it, given that how poor Motherwell's fullbacks have been in OK. Yes, Stephen O'Donnell is a huge upgrade on where they were even a week ago. Uh, he hadn't played a game in, in he hadn't he'd had some sort of preseason, but he wouldn't he wouldn't you know he definitely wouldn't have played. Why would you not try and stretch uh, him and Lammy as much as possible? And in uh, a few times, Boyle got behind Lammy, but didn't really didn't really do anything. And McGabby was obviously uh, McGabby's clicked that Lammy is uh, vulnerable and so uh, is playing a bit further to the left um, to allow to, to cover for when he inevitably gets beaten. But there was no then further exploitation of that by Hibbs to be like, all right, there must be a gap. If Mugabe moves over, there was there's going to have to be a gap between Gallagher and Mugabe now. Um, so there was, yeah, a bit, a bit of disappointment. Um, but again, if, if someone had offered you at the start uh, the season after four games, you'd be top or no second, uh, having only conceded two and uh, with ten points, you'd have you'd have bitten the hand off. But again, it's just, it's the circumstances, and potentially, potentially, uh, maybe the Livingston game has given us all false hope, and actually, we're not that good a team. Yeah, because that's really been the only time that Hibs have properly looked like the undoubtedly the best team in the park so far this season. But I do, I do agree with you on your wider point that I still fancy Hibs to from the start. The teams have made the season to finish third. I picked Aberdeen at the outset. The fact that they could be missing. Eight of their players 
for you know two, maybe even four games uh, at a time. Funny. Yeah, that would that'll be funny be, as well. It would be funny. That would be a big blow. They've also, you know, Aberdeen have also not looked particularly great the last couple of years either, uh, finishing in, in fourth place twice behind Kamarnock and then Motherwell. So. No, well, we probably still expect them to finish in the top four and certainly the top six. And no, by no means, you know, infallible and to finish in third. So, but yeah, it was a really, really poor performance from Hibs at the weekend. And I think it was just you've talked about the tactics already, but I think we could focus in on kind of the formation four four two. So maybe, 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 yeah, maybe Hibs four four two is uh, maybe what you said about the taking too much away for the Livingston game. While that might not be true of Hibs uh, overall, uh, I think it's certainly true of Jack Ross and his feelings on the four four two because it worked well that game. But as I mentioned uh, a couple of times, I thought Livingston were absolutely fucking dreadful in that match, and uh, one of the worst performances I've seen in recent years. So. I mean, how much of that was the Hibs formation? How much of that was Livingston just being terrible? I think you can maybe even start to kind of drift towards the latter there. And to then follow up, poor performance against Dundee United. Okay, fair enough. You start with the same system that has got you a 4-1 win away from home. I don't think anybody would complain about that. So he keeps it. It's not working. Changes into a three-man midfield. And Hibs definitely improved for that point. So then, why... Why bring it back? Why why bring the four four two back? Especially when you know that Motherwell are very likely to play with five in the middle. Um, yeah, it just didn't make any sense to me. And it, even the steam before the game started, I thought mm, I'm not sure I like that decision. And so it proved because yeah, the Hibs said central midfield two. Gogic was okay, but probably the worst game he's had for Hibs so far. And Joe Newell was yeah. pretty poor for for another match and. Even the changes that they made, I didn't really like. Kind of instead of of going to the three five two, instead seemed to go to kind of a four two three one system. But with that also didn't make too much sense because you had a number it of forward too much sense. A number of uh, forward players playing out of position. Yeah, it didn't make too much sense, and nor did it have any real impact either, no. which is not really what you're looking for. In fact, it maybe even got worse. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, having to, to degree. Motherwell didn't. I mean, aside from the the, the Jordan White uh, goal that was ch- chalked off, Motherwell didn't really create that much either. But I mean, that I suppose that is a you could see that as a missed opportunity because Motherwell haven't created a great deal. They they don't like they they really struggle in the final third. I, I still Lang uh, is a is a is an upgrade on Long, uh, and you can see that even just that he's got more vibrancy. But again, he was. Puggled by the 60th minute, um, I still. I mean, yeah, Jordan, Jordan White doesn't doesn't do it for me. I don't. I can't see uh, him having a huge impact. Uh, I I'm not sure why you wouldn't necessarily start Tony Watt, but uh, Steve Robinson obviously obviously knows best uh, in that regard. But yeah, it was it was just a. I think both teams both teams could potentially look at it as two points dropped, but again, neither of them were willing to to take that risk and, and, and properly go for it. I think Motherwell kind of had the, the game... I think Motherwell defended pretty well and they had the game kind of... bossed a lot of the game for me in the middle of the park. Where they were really kind of let down, I thought, was their composure in the final third. And mm. not just, I mean, in terms of in front of goal. I mean, just in terms of like making the right decision and executing the, what the right decision would be always seemed to be off. They just, they just looked a little bit kind of... 
yeah, kind of panicky, uh, taking too many touches, taking the wrong touches, uh, having it kind of bounce off them. And it just seems like they, they seemed quite in control of things until they got within and sniffing distance heads goal and then seemed to regularly fall to bits. I thought, and another arc, part of Motherwell's weakness, isn't it? And Hibs for this mark too. Their set pieces, especially corners, were all fairly woeful. Um, you know, if you are struggling to score goals like Motherwell are and are a bit uh, in open play, then surely you've got to be working on some sort of uh, routine for your set plays. But, I mean, Turnbull's delivery was okay-ish, but it didn't do much. Newell's delivery was very hit and miss um, in the first half. Uh, and then Hibs didn't really do enough in the second half to, to, to get a corner. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think I would be... Again, it's, we're only four games in, but I, th- but I think there's both... Uh, in the, the, that performance there, there are lots of things to be encouraged by and a lot of things to worry about from both clubs, um, which is kind of where you would expect both clubs to be. And again, like I know the Hibs fans were, were uh, going absolutely mental on Saturday night. Uh, only 50 weeks ago, we were getting scudded by Motherwell 3-0 at Fir Park. Um, some perspective please um, and, and I think that'll be quite difficult because the games are coming thick and fast um, hopefully actually I think the League Cup's going to be quite an interesting thing for some of the Premiership clubs in terms of it might be an opportunity for them to find their shooting boots um, so that that will be that will be interesting but um, yeah it's, it was just it just wasn't a great wasn't a great game. It was Again, a great game this week. Uh, I'm sure I'm, it's not an accident that I have now two weeks in a row been coming on last to talk about Motherwell. <laughs> it wasn't a great game, but you did. You, you talked about pluses. I think a plus for Motherwell was uh, the the fact that David Turnbull is kind of looking like he's gradually mm-hmm. improving as the games are going on, and Alan Campbell was excellent again. Yeah, I I, I mean I think that I think that's possibly why that you can say that was the difference. Uh, for Motherwell getting a result versus who Hibs have played so far this season in terms of that mid two uh, proper footballers in midfield makes it, it makes it a bit more difficult for for Newell and Gogic to uh, I mean no no one in the Hibs midfield really had, took the opportunity to sit on the ball and and maybe look for a pass it was kind of quite cagey um, but yeah I think yeah Campbell Campbell and Turnbull are lovely players to watch and you don't mind doing that you just wish that they would maybe uh, be surrounded by slightly better footballers that can that, that would appreciate some of their vision because you can see what Turnbull's trying to do so much and he must be so frustrated when people don't make the runs that he is uh, putting the ball right on a plate for yeah and also you touched upon it as well but Stephen O'Donnell despite the fact that he's not it looks weird it looks weird for him to be in a Motherwell shirt I don't know why (laughs) it just looks weird but he did uh, you kind of thought well there might be some rustiness he was also the the worry especially when he went down injured you kind of thought has he been dropped in too quickly if they're going to be missing him for months but he managed to play on so you would think that that's not going to be a serious problem for him and I think it just showed right away that as you said already a massive upgrade and even getting him till January is big for Motherwell because Liam Grimshaw the man runs his heart out he's fully committed as you could be he's he's He's, he's fine as long as you don't have if he is, he's fine as long as you don't have the the mirror reflection of him at left back because it just means your back your your defense is so limited yeah. in terms of what you can do it, it it really alters your ability to play on the front foot 
um, you can deal with one functional fullback, uh, but two is not going to help you get top six. And there was another point as well that you've kind of touched upon that I had, which that Motherwell kind of seem to have a little bit of an issue at centre forward. They've not long, uh, as Graham talked about, on... Yeah, it doesn't look interesting, which yeah, is annoying because he's a snide, snide little bastard that I absolutely adore. But um, Yeah, I was quite a fan of him last year as well, but he's not really, as, 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 as Graham outlined, he's, he's not been at the races at all this season and Robinson seems to think he doesn't want to be there, so that doesn't bode well for him. It doesn't bode well for Tony Watt that Jordan White's getting picked ahead of him. I, Graham liked to look at Jordan White against Livy. I wasn't quite as keen and he didn't really do an awful lot on Saturday. Obviously, he was a wee bit unlucky with the, the goal being disallowed. But other than that, not a not great performance. Uh, Lang, again, I agree with you. I think he, he looks a bit sharper, but can he play through the centre by himself in a, in a 4-3-3, which Motherwell uh, probably... Want to play, should, yeah. Yeah, should be pretty well did to at the moment. Uh, there's just a... There's yeah, a question there's a, mark there, yeah. Yeah, there's a number of questions in that kind of centre-forward role. They really need one of these guys to kind of step up if they are going to kind of kick on for this and start to kind of challenge as a top-three team again. Yeah, I think I think that's spot on. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad they didn't on Saturday, but it'd be quite good for the rest of the season if they did. Uh, we'll finish up by just uh, talking briefly about uh, Ross McCrory. Hibs, uh, I don't think the deal's been done yet, but it looks like at the time of uh, recording that Hibs are going to lose out and the player is going to join Aberdeen instead. So Hibs fan, Duncan, are you disappointed to lose out McCrory or are you not really that fussed? Uh, a bit disappointed, but two words, Funzo Ojo. You know, that, that, that's... Um, we lost out on him last season. I don't think it's been. I don't think it's hampered us in any real way. Uh, if Aberdeen want to overplay for overpay for players, that's uh, that's fine. That want to go out and uh, drink themselves silly in nightclubs, uh, that's all right. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think you can see on set. You could you could see in certain points on Saturday, and then even on Tuesday last week against Dundee United, where McCrory would fit into that midfield and how he would be an upgrade on what we have. Um, so, we, so what would what would have, what would the McCrory look like at Hibs? Would they played him beside Gogic and somebody else in front of them? It... I think so. I think it, I think it might have made uh, Joel Newell's position as a starter a bit more difficult. But uh, I think Newell's prone, shown, shown himself to be quite adaptable to what's going on at Hibs and quite a worker. So you, I think he would find another place for himself or, uh, on the pitch. Yeah, I would like to see him uh, in that position. Uh, I mean, imagine, I imagine that where the scouting department is at Hibs, that they'll already be on to their next, uh, they'll already have a backup that they'll be looking at anyway. Um, I, I suppose the only issue is clubs know that Hibs are willing to pay for McCrory, so that, that becomes a factor as they might bump up prices on some people that you want to the extent that you don't really, uh, you overpay for someone. Um, but again, do we have to get someone in a permanent deal or could we look at a, 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 loan, a season-long loan deal um, that might give us more flexibility and, and get players that we actually uh, need and want? Um, so a bit, bit of disappointment, but uh, you know, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Yeah, I'm not really... I wasn't big on McCrory at Hibs, but I'm not really big on McCrory at Aberdeen either because I don't think either of the clubs at this moment in time can, can give him necessarily what he needs and that's a kind of regular run in one position. I think yeah. at Hibs, he would have been... Somebody that filled in midfield of Gogic ever missed games, he would play there, he would battle Newell for the other spot, but Newell, I think, can maybe do a bit more going forward, so I'm not entirely sure he would have won out there. Uh, he would have been playing with uh, 
I think he could have done the role that Paul McGinn does, maybe even better than Paul McGinn, but Paul McGinn has been very good. Jack Ross really likes him, so would he start ahead of McGinn? Again, Doesn't I'm really not like really him. sure. Absolutely loves, absolutely loves him, could yeah, be a secret love child. Uh, and so just to me, would have been like McCrory would have definitely got more game time than he would at Rangers, but I still think he would have just shifted between fullbacks, centre-half and midfield. But I don't like Aberdeen for that reason as well. I don't think it's really a kind of <laughs> well, you just don't trust Derek McInnes to play anyone where they're meant to play. Yeah, there's um, that as well. Yeah. Um, Aberdeen could maybe use a player like that because they don't really have a kind of deep or midfielder who's more of a ball winner. That's that's maybe something they do lack and maybe something that he can bring to the team. And maybe that is what McInnes uh, has told them because McCrory does himself thinks he's a, a natural midfielder. And if McInnes has said, okay, you're just going to be my number six from now on, sod. Ojo, Sod, whoever else it's yeah. going to be you and maybe that's a good move for him but again he's battling a few players Ojo can play there McGeer can play there uh, again he'd probably just get moved around when they need cover for centre half when they need cover at right back right back is somewhere that maybe because I still don't think that Derek McInnes really has much faith in Ronald Hernandez uh, but it's only been one game this season so it's hard to tell uh, maybe he said maybe he's liked what the reports he read from McCrory at Portsmouth and, and fancies him firing up and down the wing because he could certainly do it but yeah. uh, well, it remains to be seen now I'm, I'm a little bit worried for the 22 year old but he's certainly got enough talent to, to make it work as I saw on uh, one wag on Twitter today, I can't remember who it was, so apologies for that. But you know, the two people that came away from yesterday's uh, game between Rangers and Livingston with their reputations enhanced further were it was McCrory and uh, Greg Doherty. <laughs> In Rangers' dad's opinion, they've just exponentially been you know the greatest players that have that have never been given the chance by Gerard. Well, we've already, ta- already talked about it with Joel earlier on. I just don't understand why Greg Doherty just doesn't get a chance at all. Uh, maybe there must maybe, be there must be some sort of personality clash like but <laughs> you think so apparently such a nice guy as well but for whatever reason especially since Rangers suit would be like going out and trying to find a box to box midfielder you have a box to box midfielder who's good in this league stop playing Glenn Kamara <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> even for you Europe you, you'd, yeah <laughs> exactly Right, uh, I'm going over all ground here, so we better finish the podcast right there. Thank you, Duncan. Thank you to everybody for listening. Make sure to go to patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast for all the other content we've got. Uh, Craig Cairns done a, a very good uh, Scottish Football Life episode uh, last week. It was all about the 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 move of Meadowbank Thistle uh, from Meadowbank to then becoming Livingston. Uh, the kind of controversy around that. There was uh, two fans on with different views as to how that all happened. Uh, very interesting so check that out and uh, it is great I, I listened to that in the car today uh, when I was driving and it was it was really good yeah, I, I forgot to tell Craig Cairns that but uh, he'll be listening by the time yes. he listens to it now he knows I so like that a lot Craig Cairns well done <laughs> <laughs> so that's patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast right and that's it thank you goodbye Sports Social Podcast Network with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.